Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Esquivel-Campo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. This week, we're joined by TV star, restaurateur, and best-selling author, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Today on Run Tell This, Marcus on his new book, The Rise, Black Cooks and the Soul of American Food. His advice to Keith on hosting his very first Thanksgiving, The Secret to a Juicy Bird, and we'll play a couple rounds of One's Gotta Go. Which Thanksgiving favorites are we voting off the plate? Hello, hello, everyone. Um, We are one man down this week. Uh, Wesley is not here. Wesley sent me a message and he was like, yo, check this out. I don't work on holiday weeks. That's just going to be the way it is. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> That's not Wesley's personality at all. He is on assignment um, for GQ magazine. He's working on something really cool. Um, and I can't wait to read it. And hopefully he will share more details with us um, when it comes out. So we're missing Wes, but in his place, we do have a very special guest that we're really excited about. Chef Marcus Samuelson is here. We believe on on the podcast and giving people their flowers while they're here. Um, your work is fantastic. This book is fantastic. I've been kind of watching you and just and just peeping what you've done um, as a chef and as a restaurateur for years and years and years. And so we really, really appreciate everything that you that you've done. And that was that that needed to be said. Oh, thank you. And seeing as how it is a holiday week, um, we need to start with the important stuff. We need to start with the food. <laughs> Marcus, um, what what does a world-renowned chef cook for Thanksgiving? What's on your Thanksgiving menu? Definitely turkey. But, you know, immigrant Thanksgiving, as you know about, um, there will definitely be some Ethiopian dishes. Like Are you doing herring? Soup. What are you? <laughs> are you cooking herring? Uh, no herring. No herring. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got voted out. Uh, but definitely some Ethiopian dishes, big turkey, definitely sweet potatoes, sides, Brussels will definitely be there. And hopefully we'll make some dessert together too, you know, but it will be fine. It's my favorite holiday. And, you know, this year we'll do some Zooming, we'll do some FaceTiming when we cook, but enjoy it and celebrate it because I do think it's been a tough year. Give thanks, but also celebrate because we deserve it. Yeah. Well, you know, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday as well. And this year it feels very bittersweet because on the one hand, we have more to be grateful for or we should be more aware of what we have to be grateful for. But at the same time, we feel the void of being with our loved ones and being able to hug and kiss them. And the day when you show up and everybody gets greeted at the door and playing the spades or the uno or the monopoly um so it feels like a very bittersweet year but but thanksgiving is all about giving thanks so i'm yes. going to lean into the gratitude well you have to come on to my podcast I, I i think this year was really a year of creation because i couldn't be in the restaurant the same way you know we two things really happened i started my podcast this moment with my friend jason diakates an african-american beliefs in sweden and it was really this idea of how two creatives when the world changed for us what do we have and, 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 and how do we keep creating? You got to come on because, yes, Hall of Neighbors, we have many things we can share. I would love that. I would love that. And I had that experience as well in, in everything shutting down. It kind of fueled my best creative energy. Yes. Um, and, and I've been busier and more productive than at any other time than I can ever remember. But it always comes with a little twinge of sadness and thinking about the cost to the world 
that this time has has brought with it in life, in health, in money, in jobs, in prosperity. So I have a hard time celebrating it because it's been really great for me creatively, but but boy, has it been terrible for the world. But, you know, and I hear you, and that shows a lot about you that you're thinking about that, but you, you should celebrate it because tomorrow is not promised. And, you know, we talked about it on the podcast and there's a term called post-traumatic growth, right? And I didn't know about that term. I really learned that this summer and it happened to me twice. Once was when my father passed away. Right after that, my grief was just working. And it became one of the biggest creations. And this year, the same thing. When I couldn't go back to that regular ritual that I normally did with the restaurant, I started to do the podcast. I started finishing my book. And I realized that I'm griefing inside. You know, I'm dealing with this, and we all do. But you should celebrate it because... It's your receipt, you know, that you're creating for your family. Yeah. Post-traumatic growth. Boy, do I love that. That could, that, that could, we'll have a whole nother conversation about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I, we are hosting Thanksgiving for the very first time. Um, I got a, I got a big turkey and a brand new fryer and I'm, I'm scared I'm gonna mess it up for the family. Don't set the so house on like, fire, Keith. So, so, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm try not to. I'm gonna really try not to. This is why I'm asking the question while the man is here. Give me, what should I do? Give, give me either, give either, either give me a good pointer or, or tell me something that I should make that'll, that'll blow everybody's mind for Thanksgiving. Can you put the fry? Can you, is there a way that you can fry it outside on the balcony or something like that? I can. Mm-hmm. Good. Do that first. And then number two, with the turkey, make sure you pass it dry so it's not wet when you put it in, right? And mm. same thing with the oil. You only want about 30 to 40% oil of the pot because once you drop that turkey in and the it's heat comes rise. up, it's going to boil over. Mm. And that for me, when people say set on fire, that's what happens, right? They drop something in with too much oil and boom, it goes in. So those are the steps that are most important. I would also, if I were you, I would season that oil. What do I mean with that? I would put a whole ball of garlic, don't peel it, bulb of garlic, a whole piece of rosemary, dry rose, fresh rosemary in that. So when you heat up the oil, that flavor, that, you know, that that oil is already, but I'm more worried for you because there is one big dish that is not of American descent that you have to make for your fiance. Cause that's What's gonna that? be the threshold of your relationship. Cook up rice, cook up cook rice. Cook up rice, cook up rice, cook up rice. That is, from Guyana, and if you can't get that right, Mr. Reed, you might get you you might get the boot. So, <laughs> I'm I, I haven't made the attempt to do that. You know, her Mark. her mom was here. Oh, and and her mom did the did the cook up rice. We went to a, we went to a Caribbean market. They they nice. um her mom came down from New York. We're in, we're in Pittsburgh. We found a Caribbean market. We went, and she got everything that she that she needed, and the coconut milk, and the, you know just yes. just all all of that stuff. And she and she did the cook up rice, and then she left right. us with something that we've now run out of. <laughs> so I'm here I, by myself, and I don't, and I and I have nothing. So I, I'm gonna try to figure that out, but it won't be for this Thursday. And I'm gonna let you know how that went. You know what? You're an intelligent man because you let mommy do it, and that's the best way. Because you you know, a fool only a fool would invite a Guyanese person into a cook up rice and don't know what to do it. So and I, I ain't I ain't that stupid. I'm no, I'm, 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 I'm kind of right. dumb, but I ain't that stupid. <laughs> you guys, 
How do you like to do your turkey? Are you a fan of a of a dry rub? Do you do a brine? What do you do with your turkey for Thanksgiving? So I would say to most people, first of all, buy a smaller turkey. Don't buy too big turkey, right? Because this, you know, I would say 14, 16, if you can get to that 14 pound, that's a good size, not too big. Then yeah, I like to brine it. And I like to brine it early on Tuesday is a good, like tonight to Tuesday is a good time or Tuesday to Wednesday is a good time to do it, right? And then you want to pat it dry. And for me, the key is to lift up the skin, get some butter with some fresh herbs inside under the skin, underneath the skin, right? So when you roast it, that, that butter drops into the meat, right? The best way to cook a turkey, which what most people don't want to do, but the best way for flavor is to separate the breast meat from the thighs and the legs, because the thighs and the legs cooks much, much longer, right? So it's not like a chicken where you benefit from roasting it whole. Turkey, actually, if you cut it in half, where you separate the breast meat, white meat from the dark meat, you know, that's how you're going to get the best taste. But everybody wants that golden shot with the turkey on the table. Right. And that makes it hard. And that's why there's a lot of dry turkey out there. Right. There isn't. There's a, a problem of dry turkey out yes. there. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, let it rest. Once you cooked it best based on the size for two hours, two and a half hours, whatever it is based on size, turkey that cooks for two and a half hours needs to rest over an hour at least. What do I mean with that? Not with foil covered over on top of the stove, cold, or room temp, let it rest. That's how the moisture stays in the bird. What we very often do is like we get behind, we put the turkey in, take it out, let it rest while we're heating up the side, and then cut it. That's when all the moisture goes on the cutting board and the turkey goes dry. Don't do that. Yeah, well, you're right. The problem is that we're rushing, and then our family yeah. is standing around us like a bunch of hungry vultures. And, and then you can sit around for 20 minutes and, and play that card game, because th that's going to be the difference between moist or dry. Got it. Okay, so I would love to play a quick game of one's gotta go. So... I'm going to list some things. This is Thanksgiving themed. So I'm going to list some Thanksgiving things. And we have to decide as a group which one got to go. So we're going to start with Thanksgiving side dishes. So one's got to go. And here's the list. Mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, stuffing, or candied yams. So I would say the mac and cheese can go. What? Because, no, wait, 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 wait. Here's the reason why. I love mac and cheese, but the others are really around this holiday. The candy jams, the mash. I mean, that's all comfort, right? Okay. I love mac, but it could be any holiday. So, so this is hard for me, right? Because this is like the OG black chef of our generation. So I'm so I'm setting myself up for a fall because I'm disagreeing with him already. But I'm good, I gotta good, go. Good. I gotta I gotta get rid of the mashed potatoes. Like everything, every I the the mash for me gotta go because I could because I can make mash like on my stove anytime. It really ain't that special. The That's rest of the point. stuff is the That's the rest of the point. stuff is stuff that you really just gotta put your foot all the way into it to get it right. And the mash is like. I can do that in 15 minutes, peel some potatoes right quick, boil, get you some sour cream chives, boom, boom, boom. And, and we done everything else is it, it's, it takes prep. So I gotta, I gotta go with the mash. 
Okay, I am shocked here. And maybe, you know, I realized that I was stereotyping a little bit because I was thinking, okay, I'm talking to two black men. They are going to keep the mac and cheese and they're going to keep the mashed potatoes and the candy yams. Now, Marcus, I know you have a European background. My family does too. My father's Italian. So, uh, you know, that was a little bit of a wild card there, but I never in a million years expected you guys to say what you've said because I think the stuffing's got to go. No, like, no, stuffing. Who would like stuffing? You like stuffing? Mara. Mara, we were doing so well. I mean, we were, on. we were. I mean, the, the stuffing is around the holiday. If there's one thing that you eat during this holiday season, is that? I mean, I can I can go with Keith on this. That yeah, you can actually substitute the mash and serve it any time. But the stuffing, the only time you're going to serve stuffing is on Thanksgiving. That's true. Okay, but do you enjoy stuffing, or do you eat it out of obligation, like the cranberry sauce? First of all, I make it. I make the mash. I make all of it. Of course, I enjoy the stuffing. I make it. All right. What's make it good? So, what's your? Because everybody does it differently. Some people do cornbread stuffing. Some people do like some sausage in it. What's your take on the stuffing? How I mean, do you do it? What I love about stuffing is it's actually a throwback back to our grandparents' generation, like when we had to, right? Whether you use the inners, whether you use the neck. For me, as a chef that's where this bird is actually getting interesting. It's in the stuffing, what you can get out of that. And I mean, being a chef, you're a little bit too close to it, but like I use all of those inners and use any of my stuffing and I don't tell the rest of the family because it gets a little bit messy, <laughs> but that's the good stuff, you know? And that's a throwback to my auntie, you know? All right, so then um, we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one, but I think it's notable that the candied yams are undisputed. The candied yes. yam, the yam stay. Oh yeah, you gotta have the yam. Yeah, I, you can't have a, a conversation with three black people around any holiday <laughs> in the yams. Like, we might as well not even be here. That that really is ancestral. I feel very connected really to is. the ancestors when and I, yams. But that's that's another reason why I wanted to get rid of the the, the mashed potatoes because yeah. the yam is like the OG potato. Like, I got a yam. What I what I need the light skinned potato for? Oops. Like, what <laughs> okay. Are, can what I tell I you doing? something funny what? about that? That is, you know, Mara, you have Italian background. I grew up in Sweden. That's how I feel about herring around the holidays in Sweden. Mm. You can throw any holiday season and the herring is at the table. And you know, when and you're an immigrant Swede, you like, really? Right. Herring in November and herring in July? <laughs> <laughs> herring year round, herring 365. Yes. <laughs> now, yes. do, you put, do you put marshmallows on your um, yams? No. 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 We got to make, I, I mean, for me, it's really about, if you want that sweetness, I can add honey. I can add a little maple syrup to them. There's so many different ways to get that natural sweetness to it. Um, I like to mix, roast my, uh, roast my sweet potato, and then chop them up after I roast them and fold them into Brussels sprouts, um, a little bit of maple syrup and soy, and then fold in pomegranate in the end. It looks so beautiful and great. You know, can chop up pecans as well to get crunch you know the texture you want that is crunch you know so sweetness i get the sweetness that you want to highlight that but there's so many different more natural ways to getting that okay thanksgiving desserts speaking of which one's gotta go banana pudding sweet potato pie apple pie or socket to me cake i mean again it's not going to be popular but i would say the apple pie, because you can have it any other time. It's not necessarily for that moment. 
you know, the sweet potato, you're not touching that banana. You're definitely not touching that. So, <laughs> you know, all right, Keith, what's your vote? I'm, I'm right in line with him. The apple, you can keep the apple pie. Yeah. And and I actually planned to, to do something with apples. We went we went apple picking. Um and so we have all these apples and I yeah. got to do something with them but like of of the things on that list, the th- the thing that needs to stay or the thing that that isn't necessary would be the apple pie. You could do apple pie literally any other day. Any time. All right, I agree. So we we have a consensus. Apple pie is gone. All right, this is the last one. Thanksgiving games. Okay, one's got to go. Uno, spades, or dominoes? I think my black card's going to get revoked on this one. Uh Uh-oh. Dominoes got to go. Dominoes got to go. I kind of of feel you on that, too. But actually, I think that... People get way too aggressive. They start smacking them on the table. They're drinking too much. They're calling each other names. Like it's just too much drama with the dominoes. Actually, 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 I think I think we're going three for three on that. Yeah. Because I don't. Because for me, dominoes is like a cookout game. It is okay. right. Domino dominoes is on the porch. You know, with a with a with a with a grill going with a barbecue. Dominoes is not necessarily the thing. You know, yeah. family. It's not a family game. No, right. right. It, it goes in a whole other direction. The other two, you sit around, you got the family, you play whatever. Well, in my family, you could get cut playing spades, but that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> no, no monopoly, no monopoly. I thought you that was monopoly. You know what's funny? Monopoly. I was t- so I asked my husband about this. I said, "What game should I put on this list?" And he said, "Put Monopoly on it." And I said, "Nobody plays Monopoly at Thanksgiving it, because oh, Monopoly is a fantastic holiday game." All right. Well, here I, he's going to be so. This is his holiday gift, baby. You were right. There you go. Merry Christmas. So we're two for three. We, we agreed on dominoes and apple pie. We did not agree on the sides. But one thing that we can all agree on, Marcus, is that this book is fantastic. You have a new book out, The Rise, Black Cooks and the Soul of American Food. I will tell you, and I'm not just saying this because you're a guest, because I would say, oh, thank you for coming on. And we really love the book. But I am going out of my way to say that this book is stunningly beautiful I sat down the moment that I received it and looked through every single page. I dog-eared about a dozen recipes that I wanted to try. And I love to cook. And because I love to cook, and I have a very varied cooking background. My father is Sicilian, first generation. My mother is black. My mother loves to cook. So first, tell me about the concept of the book, Black Cooks and the Soul of American Food. Explain that. Well... You know, the book took four years to do, right? And uh, I wanted to talk about blackness as a non monolithic and excellent, show black excellence in, in a way that I feel like we don't even know how much we contributed to American food, right? We know how much we contributed in terms of American music from bebop to hip hop to jazz to rock and roll to soul. It's all defined and we know that. But when it comes to food, even us sometimes think it's vague because we haven't created a value proposition. We never got the credit for it. So we thought a lot about, yes, we are the tribe that served and cooked, but we never had a value proposition that matched our contribution. And I'm like, this is, we have four cuisines that stems from the African-American experience. Four, America doesn't have original cuisines outside the black space, right? So we have barbecue, that's us, low country, 
you know, direct link between West Africa and the, and the Carolinas. Southern food that we think about as soul food, right? And then, of course, Creole from New Orleans. So those are four original cuisines that our ancestors did. And yet, if you're going to ask anyone about American food, we don't think about black chefs and the contributions. For me, it's like, stop. Let's build a full authorship and give credit to the people who did it, our, our ancestors. Then two, let's really honor memories. And this is very important to have the, the authorship so we know our history. Because even as black people, we don't know how did this come to us? It came through us through slavery, through migration, but also through immigration in the Caribbean, right? And that's all different ways. So for me, it was just a very important moment to, to document it and, and publish this book. And that's awesome. I'm actually glad that you, that you hit that last point about um, not only the original cuisines that, that kind of became our heritage here, but also the cuisines that continue to migrate. Um, my fiance is from Guyana and flipping right. through flip, flipping through the book, she immediately stopped and said, oh my goodness, there's a Guyanese chef in here. So now like we're, we got to go and buy all the stuff to make the pepper pot that's, that's, that's in the book. And I actually was kind of jokingly said, you know, I'm going to have some smoke for him because now I got to go. I do probably 75% of the cooking in, in the house. So like all of this stuff in here that she's like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, okay, now I got to, I got to cook all this stuff. But I wanted to talk about appropriation a little bit, right? Because in some of those other spaces you talk, I mean, you know, there's, there, there is appropriation of culture. There's appropriation of music. There's been appropriation of, of sartorial choices, um, appropriation of, of language, right? We don't really talk a whole lot about appropriation of food, even though I think that the erasure that you talked about in terms of black food in this country goes hand in hand with the appropriation. And when you start to look at the food, the foodie scene uh, in any number of, of cities, you see these places opening up and it's like chicken and waffles and it's this and it's that. And it's all these sorts of fusion that really play on food that comes from or has a linkage to our community. Yes. But doesn't get the credit when you see the restaurant start starting to open up. But, but I mean, everything you said there is, is really important, right? Because again, if you haven't, if we haven't created a value proposition to it, then people can come and, and take it. Right. And, um, and it's, it's more complicated than that. Right. First of all, when the food came from Africa, either through slavery or colonization or a blend of the two, it got ripped out of us and therefore the value went to Europe or to America. So an example, if you buy your fiance Belgian chocolate, she would be super happy. There's no cocoa beans in Brussels. It's in Ghana, right? But even there as a black, as a black person, you're like, yeah, I want to buy this high end Belgian European chocolate. You say, I'm going to give my mom some French roast coffee, right? No, that coffee beans are from Ethiopia, from Kenya. So we have to understand that wine and beer and cooking originated in Africa. Once it got quality to it, we felt it got taken to Europe. And so we know it through European lands. Well, that looks like most of the history that's been taught to us, Keith, right? So cooking is not any other. We don't live outside the rest of the history. And unless we write the cookbooks, we write the history books, what, what happens with diversity is obviously that 
the documentation and history looks different when we are written into it. Uh, and that's why I link it to music or sports. You know, there was baseball pre, there was basketball pre-integration segregation. It wasn't as good and it wasn't as big. So for me, it's very important that we understand where the food comes from. We stop appropriation. We talk about it with the right authorship and we can learn a lot from immigrants, you know, like think about the terms that you learned through ordering sushi, right? Or, or going to an Indian restaurant or going to an Italian restaurant. What I love with, for example, someone like Mara's father's generation, the Italian was completely unapologetic. You want the pasta menu, it's going to be called what it was in the old country. And that forced us to learn about al dente, all these terms like, you know, we really cacio di pepe, like we learn about all of these terms and Koreans, kojijan, kimchi, very different. So trust me, if we learn how to say kimchi, we can learn how to learn about things from Africa. So it's about us valuing it. And, and, and you know, you talk about your fiance, Guyana, for example, it's a very layered country when it comes to food because you have the Indo-Guyanese that has Indian, then you have the South American Guyanese and they come from the sort of the, um, uh, the Amazon, you have the Chinese Guyanese and you have the Afro-Guyanese, right? So in one tiny country in the Caribbean or it's actually in South America, you have all these four cultures mixing up, but that is exactly what blackness is. I mean, the three of us, we're all black people. We have different, I'm from Ethiopia via Sweden. Mara is Italian roots and African-American roots. And I'm sure your ancestors has a completely different path. So if you would follow our three journeys, our food stories would then have three other paths. And now, that's what becomes America, such a unique place and such a delicious place. What do you want people to focus on and to appreciate and to value that has African roots? I love that. First of all, cook from the book, learn the book, enjoy the book, because in there, the stories of these black chefs. I mean, it's a little bit about my journey, but it's really about the 50 other chefs that we really highlight in the book. Like when you learn about the Haitian black rice, John, John John Rice, which is something that we talk with Greg Godet, that's Haitian American. When you start learning about chef and entre entrepreneurship, like someone like Nina Compton, they come from the St. Lucia and now it's a chef in, in uh, New Orleans. Or someone like Ms. Leah Chase, that just passed away last year, 96 years old, a restaurant opened in the 40s. So she broke the law, Mara, for 20 years serving white and black people before, you know, the first integrated restaurant in America. So for me, it's not just dishes. It's the rituals that we as black people, you know, our culture is more oral. I'm sure your grandmother didn't write down a recipe. Not a one. <laughs> oral technique that she just gave away, right? And the beauty of that, that's our culture. But the challenge with that is we live in a time where everything is googled or searched for it's harder for you Mara to tell your your nephews nieces kids here is our culture so we live in a time where everything has to be documented so this is the era where we document it we have to take those rituals and document it and and that to me is the most important thing that we can do uh, we've done it in music we're doing it in sports. We've done it through the Maya Angelos and the, and the incredible James Baldwin's and the traditions. 
you know, even a, this podcast is end of the day a receipt for your own family about where the culture was at. That's what you guys are doing. You're sharing, but you're also doing documentation of your journey where the conversation was at. So no one's going to ever be able to say, what did you do in this moment, right? You're 2020 for the three of you guys. It's documented. One of the things that I loved um, was the section in the back that had the spice rubs. It had a lot more information that I felt was, you know, really connecting me to the culture of African cooking. Are there certain specific, for somebody who loves to cook, are there certain specific ingredients or spices that really are so core to a lot of African cuisine? Well, I would say spices, right? Because the spices was both trading in Africa, still is, and also a preserving technique. We covered our meats and fish in spices because we didn't have refrigerations. So those things have stayed and kept, right? So I would say spices, you know, a spiced butter that we use in Ethiopia and use in India, for example, it's called kebe. It's basically a clarified butter that we cook in ginger and turmeric. My wife uses it for her hair and skin, but it's also a great cooking tool because it's a flavored butter. So every time you cook a piece of fish, you add flavor to it because the spices are already in the butter, you know? And that butter, if you don't stick your fingers in it, it will never go back. It's its own preservation technique. So the book is 300 pages full of recipes. I know this is going to be a difficult question to answer, but what's your favorite out of all the recipes in this book? My son Saza, he loves when we make like, we make this kind of like Italian dish based on Ethiopians. So there's a chicken stew in Ethiopia called Dorawat. The next day, we take that stew and fold it in with a little tomato sauce, some greens, and, um, you know, it can be rigatoni or some simple pasta. That's our favorite to make because it's easy. Everyone can do it, right? And Zaza, he, he doesn't even like eating it as much as like just being there with me. Um, but I'm, I love the stories in the book and to broadcast and highlight black excellence through food. That's one of the biggest privilege. And like anything else, you created this podcast because you felt you needed to share something, right? I, when I started this project, there wasn't a market for it. I started this project because I felt I needed to share these incredible chefs that are part of our country that should get recognition, that should inspire young ones to be able to say, hey, I want to go to cooking school. And, you know, you you chose to open Red Rooster in Harlem, and you probably could have selected a lot of different locations to open Red Rooster, but you chose this community. Why did you want to bring Red Rooster to Harlem? Well, I felt more like I have, I owe tax to African-American culture in many ways. I was raised in, in Sweden, so I have the privileges of all the things that Sweden had to offer, but also the privileges of black excellence. And, you know, without the role models of African-Americans, I remember when Toni Morrison got Nobel Prize um, and I remember growing up with, you know, Michael and Prince and Eddie Murphy or not that everything is in entertainment, but as a European black kid, that gave us hope, right? So once I, if it wouldn't have been for that though, you know, as a black person growing up outside of this country, we needed these American stars to show us what it could possibly be like. 
And, you know, I, I knew one day I would move to America. And if I moved to New York, I moved to Harlem because, you know, I read Malcolm X. I, I read James Baldwin. I read Maya Angelou. And I wanted to work in, a, in, in basically in black Mecca in terms of culture, you know, close to the Apollo, close to the Studio Museum, close to the Schomburg. And, you know, even, even, even this year when I finished the book, a very difficult year, right, for all of us. I was also lucky enough to be the guest editor for Bon Appetit for the holiday issue. And who did I invite? Dapper Dan, Bebby Smith, Thelma Golden. And I thought about that dinner party as we're going to do Zoom dinner parties and so on. But I thought about it. I'm surrounded by black excellence. When I make the books, I really think about someone like yourself or someone like Thelma. It's like, if it doesn't pass, like, that's the privileges of being in Harlem. We walk around in this incredible community where, you know, people fought and lost lives to have people like you and me be able to do, you know, a podcast or a, a cookbook. So for me, that's the tax. Marcus, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate right. you. Happy right. holidays. Thank have you. Happy holidays to you, too. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Runtell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.